This episode of WA Real is brought to you by Real Legacy, the private legacy interview service. Just imagine capturing all of your most important stories, life lessons, and pearls of wisdom in a high quality interview video so that you create a lasting living legacy that will continue to touch and connect to your loved ones so they will remember you, the real you, long, long into the future. Go to www.reallegacy.co, that's just CO, and book your discovery call with me today so we can begin to explore capturing the amazing legacy that sits within you or your nearest and dearest. This week, I had the absolute privilege of talking with Dave Andrews, CEO and founder of Capital Partners Private Wealth Advisory Firm. Now, I wanted to speak to Dave because I wanted to explore the intersection of wealth, happiness, and purpose with one of Perth's leading financial planning companies. But what I quickly found was that in this current world where we're being confronted by changing and challenging times, was that I was actually tapping into some very deep truths about life. Truths which I believe we've moved away from, but have been sitting quietly and patiently in the corner awaiting our return. Dave has built Capital Partners upon clear fiduciary principles with a key focus on how finances can support the whole of a client's life rather than a singular, narrow, immediate financial focus. Over the span of his career, Dave has had thousands of conversations with his clients in order to deliver this level of service. And it is from this foundation that the wealth of knowledge and wisdom comes forwards in this podcast conversation. Among many topics we go deep on is the importance of exploring and understanding your values so that decisions and boundaries can become easier and clearer. And how without this clarity around your values, we can quickly fall prone to reacting and comparing ourselves to the outside world, which leads only to a deep sense of discontentment in our life. Dave is a wonderfully grounded and deep thinking man who is able to share his huge wealth of knowledge and reflections in an engaging and articulate manner. For the listener, there is a valuable opportunity to tap into some very solid and deep wisdom and truth that go far beyond money and financial planning and will hold us in good stead in the current world that is emerging in front of us. So enjoy, Dave. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. How do wealth, happiness and purpose come together? Well, that's what we're going to investigate today with CEO and founder of Capital Partners, Dave Andrew. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bryn. Pleasure to be with you. And thank you for giving me some time. You know, you're a busy man. So one of the questions I like to ask my guests right at the start is, is because it's called WA Real, is their relationship with Western Australia. Now, despite interviewing nearly 140 odd people, you're probably one of the first people who's third generation Western Australian that I've come across. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to you to be a third generation Western Australian? I was pondering <coughs> this yesterday in the light of this um, coronavirus crisis that we're in the midst of right now sitting at the beach just looking out over the Indian Ocean thinking you know this is just one of the most extraordinary places you could end up and to have been lucky enough to have been born here is really quite a privilege. Um, So I'm quite a parochial West Australian. Um, I I look at the ratings that come out about the most livable cities in the world and they constantly come up with Melbourne being the the most livable city. And I just think, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) It's got to be Perth. It's got to be Perth. So yeah, I was born here in 1965 and I've spent most of my life here. I've lived away on a couple of occasions. And um, we chose to be here. Um, because we wanted our children, now young adults, to grow up with their grandparents around, um, all of whom remarkably are still alive. So, you know, in their mid-80s, all four parents, uh, grandparents are still alive. And um, the nature of Perth is such that it's, it's small enough 
that we still all see each other and the kids interact with their grandparents regularly. And so I, I consider it a rich life, Bryn. I really do. Excellent. I hope that answers the question. Yeah. <laughs> How, being somebody who has such a deep, rich history in West Australia, how have you viewed it with you know, such an influx of you know, people like myself who only arrived here 10 years ago, oh. particularly with the, the boom? I celebrate new arrivals. Mm. Uh, you know, the richness of our lives is, is, is largely because of the diverse nature of, you know, I, I love the Fringe Festival uh, every summer and I go in there and there's every shape and colour and, you know, there's some... That's true. From where I come from, which is really quite a conservative place in the world, you know, some real hippie types and I just love it and I just chuckle to myself and I just think that that diversity is wonderful. I, mm. I, you know, I think more and more we, we need to share this world with God and, yeah, okay, we, we, we have finite resources in this country so we've got to be careful about the numbers of people, we've got to be careful about how we grow and... And, um, but I'm not one to propose that we should be closing borders to particular types of yeah. migrants. You know, I just think, you know, I don't know that I believe in the more the merrier because of the limits to our growth. But I, but I think diversity in our culture is, is really important. Harmony is really important. Mm. Um, living with, with each other with tolerance and understanding is important. And, and I just think, again, I think it makes a richer place. Mm. So you founded Capital Partners in 1999. Um, it now has 32 employees. About that. Yeah, managing over a billion dollars of assets. Well, it was um, last week. It was last <laughs> week. <laughs> That's okay. We might come to that. It's then. a long-term story. <clears throat> yeah. Um, why finance, Dave? Because I understand that you started off in sports science. Yeah, I did. I as started, a, as yeah. a uni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Course. I started off in sports science, and um, I probably never should have done that. Um, Funny, I, I have no recollection of this, but as a young boy, um, we lived in Sydney mm. and um, my dad, mum and dad transferred over there and we lived in a suburb called French's Forest, um, which beautiful place uh, on the edge of the Kuringai Chase National Park, but was really out in the burbs back in the, back in the 60s. And um, the stories are told where I'd get a bit bored on a particular day and, and I'd go door to door, you know, selling raffle tickets and the story goes, you know, well, David, yeah, I'm happy to buy a raffle ticket off you, but, but what's the prize? And he's, I, my respondent, this is as a four-year-old, five-year-old. Well, I have no idea what the prize is going to be. I, I've got to work out how many tickets I sell before <laughs> I tell you what the prize is. You know? um, so there was a streak of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship very early. Um, another one was I'd go to door to door selling selling old newspapers. You know, well, what what date does it have on it, dear? I don't, well, I don't know. But do you want a newspaper or don't you? <laughs> and people would very kindly hand over five cents and 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 reward my um, um, initiative, I guess. So so yes, I did sports science. Um, I went to Applecross High School, which was a really good experience. And uh, I, I think I was a seventeen year old just that had no idea what mm. he wanted to do. And I see this today with our own, my own kids and their friends. Um, so having done six years worth of that, um, you know, through undergraduate, postgraduate mm. studies, um, I then just decided I didn't want to be in that public health type of system. And back in the days, that was uh, probably 86, 87, you could still apply for a graduate program, you know, and at the time yeah. I sort of isolated IBM as where I really wanted to work and then, and then another company, now defunct National Mutual. And um, for a whole lot of reasons, the, the IBM opportunity didn't come through, but National Mutual did. And, and that's what got me on the course of finance. And, and um, it has been an incredibly rewarding um, journey for me. How so? Um, uh, look, I think we all, as we get into our 50s, gain, gain a bit more wisdom. I think in our 30s, we're pretty gung-ho. In our 40s, we're just exhausted because we've all got young children and we're trying to just hold our lives together. In our 50s, we, we do gain a little bit of wisdom. And I think the thing that happens in the transition is that in your 30s, it's all about the money. Yeah. In the 40s, you're just 
again, trying to hold it all together. And in your 50s, you, you're starting to ask a few more questions around what's this really all about. And um, I've come to a very firm place philosophically where all the money in the world won't make you happy. Yep. But wealth with purpose can. Right. And the challenge we have around money is having the best possible life with the resources we've got. Yes. If that makes sense. So mine has been a journey. Yeah, there's, so, it's, there's, so it's less conditional on when I get this, yeah. then this will happen. Yeah, it, yeah absolutely. It's the other way around. Uh, well, or yeah. always be more uh, present with what yeah, you have. Uh, absolutely. And still have goals and still be aspiring. Mm. I, think, I think accomplishment and aspiration is very important. Aristotle said um, man is a goal-seeking animal. Um, mm. And I, I don't think there's any less truth in that today as there was then. Mm. Um, but it is very much more a case of um, making choices that make us happy as opposed to making choices that necessarily make us wealthier. Mm. Um, and yet, you know, I'm also a, 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 the first to admit that, you know, having enough money gives you options, which gives you options around having you know, a, a richer, fuller life. Yes. So I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not proposing for a minute that it's all about becoming a Buddhist monk and living on nothing. Not at all. Um, but but I do know. You know, we've we've talked. Well, I've had. Bryn, I wish I'd had a counter on this. I've had thousands of conversations over the last thirty years about money and where it fits and happiness and all the rest of it. Mm. And and this whole concept of you know some of. Some of our wealthiest, some of the wealthiest people I've ever known have the most complicated lives, the most complicated families. Um, uh, and we all can relate to the, you know, the Balinese kids that mm. grow up with nothing and they're, 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 they appear at least to be very, very happy. There's, there's something, there's, there's some real joy to be found somewhere in the middle. Mm. Is it almost like the proverbial, you know, like the bell curve where? Yeah, probably. A peak where they all come together. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, I think I think one of the challenges we face. I, I don't know if we're we're getting off track, but um, one of the challenges that we face as a community is that um, um, there's too much comparing. You know, particularly in the 30s. You know, people striving and comparing, and and um, you know, I have a saying: comparison with others is at, around money is at the heart of all discontent. Mm. You know, you you gotta you gotta really start to think about what is what is a purposeful life for me. What matters to me? Does it matter if I'm driving a Porsche or not? Does it really matter? You know, I'm a Toyota driver. Can I yeah. afford to drive other stuff? Yeah, probably. But I love driving Toyotas. I just I've always have. And that's yeah. what I do. That's what I do. Um, and that's a conscious choice. Yeah. Tell me about some of some of the clients that you have here. I mean, you're obviously not going to tell me their details, but. Who are the sort of people who come to you as clients? Just um, they're yeah. really just they're really really just good good people. Hmm. Um, you know we have a we have a bit of a policy where it's no dickheads allowed. No dickheads allowed. Yeah, am I allowed to say that? Um, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> so so we we really do. Uh, if you if you saw our client ideal client profile, and I guess we do have one, it's about people who do have goals, they have aspirations, um, you know, they are, they have ambitious lives, um, ambitious around something, mm. and, um, and they care about their families, so, so I would describe just about all of our clients as very, very strong family stewards, they care far more about what's going on for their kids and their grandkids and their, their families and their extended families than they do about the money. So yes. the money, the money matters, but the money for our clients tends to be an enabler. Yes. So we, we can tell very quickly if we're talking to a person who keeps score around how valuable their life is by how much money they've got, mm. or a person who, or conversely, a person who keeps score about how rich their life is by how rich their relationships are. Yes. So our, where our clients tend to be the latter. That's not to say they're passive. Um, it's not to say they delegate completely. We have some very, very robust conversations. Mm. Um, but we, we, you asked me earlier about my journey with finance. I think yeah. the best way I'd describe that would be our business 
has become has become, if you imagine a Venn diagram of two circles coming together, you've got the hard finance and then you've got behavioural finance, so psychology, human psychology. So, so we talk about our business operating where life and money intersect. Right. And I think that's where... So it's not just money for money's sake. That's right. Yeah, but the money does have to be looked after. Oh. You know, and the conversations we're having right here, right now, in this business, what is it, on the 19th of um, March, are really, really important conversations for people because they've trusted us to look after them and we've built a strategy that said, this strategy is robust enough to see you through good times and bad. And now's one of those times. Now I'm, uh, you know, obviously I'm anxious because I've got young, young adult children and I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is a tough time for all of us, um, and I'm whilst I'm anxious about what our clients are feeling, I'm not anxious for them in terms of the outcome they're going to get because they're going to be okay. Yes. Hmm. That's a pretty good place to be. Yeah, yeah, and it's not 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 from a place of complacency, but it's from a place of having thought very, very deeply about these things. And you know, our, our investment committee and is, is meeting daily and monitoring events and monitoring situations and looking at what different asset classes are doing and trying to understand why and thinking about what implications that has for clients. And um, so, it, yeah. It's interesting you use, use the phrase, um, think very deeply. It strikes me at times, and it might be overgeneralizing, but finding somebody or enlisting the services of somebody who does think very deeply is almost like a very precious commodity at the moment. Um, there seems to me so much, oh, I can help you be rich quick, or I can help you get fit quick, or have the best relationship in six weeks, or something like that, but life's not that straightforward. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me, let me share with you a simple truth. The news is actually not about news. The news is about generating revenue. Hmm. So there are magazines and online publications that every week publish new fabulous diet, you know, eat um, I don't know, eucalyptus leaves for a week and you'll lose weight and you're saying, oh, okay, that's a great fad diet. And then the following week it is, um, you know, Kim Kardashian, amazing new diet or Jennifer Aniston, amazing new diet. And then the following week it's, you know, uh, whomever, you know, you know, Meghan Markle, <coughs> you know, loses 50 million kilograms because she's, you know, eaten air. It's wonderful. Um, now, what that magazine really should be saying is get lots of sleep, drink lots of water, exercise every day, eat really good fresh fruit and vegetables, and limit the amount of calorie intake um, to how much you actually need, and don't drink too much alcohol. Yep. And that's one, ed one edition, mm. and then they could shut the newspaper down. Yeah. But and that's not what happens. And do that every day. And do it, just do it, do that every day. Just, just limit your alcohol, eat good fresh fruit and vegetables, limit your processed food, exercise daily, um, you know, interact with people in a really positive way so that you have good mental health. And that, but that's one addition. That doesn't support what they're actually doing. They're trying to generate revenue. Now, money is the same. Um, um, you know, top five stocks to make you wealthy this year. In the following week, it's, um, you know, Armageddon, the world's going to end. Um, um, then the following week, it's, you know, gold, 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 buy gold. You know, you have, and it, it's about getting people's attention in such a way that they'll continue to buy the news stream. When in fact, what they should just, there's one edition that says, well, you know, if you want to be successful, you should actually save more than you spend. Um, be sensible about your your um, uh, non-discretionary spending. Um, go on holidays you can actually afford. Send your kids to schools that you can actually afford. Um, and um, 
save regularly and uh, put it into a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds. And if you do that for long enough, guess what? You're going to be really actually quite well off. But it's one addition. There you go. And then you shut the news channel down because no one needs any more information. Mm. That's all the information you're ever going to need. So I'm, I'm, I'm a consumer of news, but I'm very, very aware of what their agenda is. You're a conscious is. consumer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conscious consumer. Fear sells. Panic sells. And no more than now, is it? Absolutely. Right? And I'm not underestimating this health crisis. I no. am. You and I are well social distanced right now. Yes. Yes. You know? Normally, which is a, just, just for the listeners, normally I would sit a lot closer to my guests just yeah, because but, I do. Yeah, sure. But, but, you know, no handshakes, no social distancing. You know, this, this table, yeah. these chairs will get wiped down with, you know, all that stuff. You know, you observe it. But yes, I'm a very res- respectful, um, but, dis- you know, um, sensible consumer of the news. So how does capital partners compete in the marketplace when that's going on? Because um, you, you, you strike me as the single edition yeah, business model, as opposed to the I think it's multiple. Been, I think it's been a really tough 20 years. So 1st of July 1999, I backed out our driveway in a little white Camry with a computer and I'd rented an office off a mate of mine in St George's Terrace so that I could have 225 St George's Terrace on my card. And, um, you know, people were very, very generous. Um, Trust trust is a funny thing. Trust is a really rare commodity these days and I don't think it's something that you can create. Trust is something you have to be. You have to be consistent. You have to be ethical. You have to be decent, you have to be truthful, you have to, reliable. Um, you have to be reliable. Um, and um, I, I think for the first 15 or so years of our business, we mm. suffered from the fact that we weren't trying to sell snake oil and that we weren't, um, you know, making the headlines about, you know, doing spooky, clever stuff with money. Mm. Um, but the last five years has been extraordinary in terms of, uh, I think we've started to build brand equity. And, um, Because know, of the consistency. The consistency, reliable, reliable. So I have a conversation with our younger people. You know, brand, uh, trust is not something you can create. Trust is something that you, all you can do mm. is create a space that someone else can step into mm. and choose to trust you. And they will not judge you by what you say they will judge you by what you do over a very long period of time. And that's what great brands are built on. You know, that's, that's you know, why great brands exist. And I think there is a, and I really think this crisis is gonna be interesting because I think after this, people will really start to think far more deeply about what they value. And I do think there will be a reversion back to brands that matter. I think it was happening prior, um, but I do think this will pe- make people think. So that, to, you to think your question- Do it will take people back to values that matter? Because I, think, I think that was happening anyway. I mm. think people are really starting to look at the world we're in and saying, well, is this sustainable? Am mm. I living sustainably? And I, am I willing just to keep filling the ocean with plastic bags? So, so I think that's been starting to happen anyway. Yes. Um, but I, but it's gone from out there I suspect to the that will nose. accelerate more. You know, I think you know the United States is in a bit of a pickle right now. Um, I think their their capitalist system is a bit bereft of values. Their their political system is bereft of values. So I hope I hope over the next five years or so we see a shift there. Mm. You know, people. You know, I don't know. Your listeners might be listening to this, thinking, "Oh, this guy's a fruitcake," but. You know, I do think we need a kinder world. I think you'll find my listeners will actually be resonating with Yeah, so I, I, I've, I'm on the public record with all the changes <coughs> that are happening in the financial industry around saying, you know, education standards, um, code of conduct, ethical standards. I spoke to a room full of about 80 financial advisors and I said to them, you know what, the problem here is that 
there's half the room in here is thinking that all of these education standards and and ethical standards are really unfair and they're going to really um, upset the way we've always done business and da da da. I said, let me tell you, the conversations I'm having with Joe Public are when they read the ethical standards and when they read the ethical the education standards, they read like common sense, like yep. that's what a financial advisor should be doing. The concept of a fiduciary goes back to the 1600s where you acted on someone else's behalf in a position of trust and by law, you know, this, is, this was um, law, a court made law in the Chancery Court, um, you had to put your client's interests ahead of your own. Mm. And the only conflict, conflict you could have was that you actually do need to be paid for your services, which means you have to have a very open, honest and transparent conversation with the person to say, look, I'm willing to do this for you, this is what the cost is gonna be. No sleight of hand, no magic, no trickery, and that's where we're going. But, so, oh, so why was I telling you that story? Sorry, Bryn. Um, I've been getting hate mail. So I'm out in the public saying this stuff and I'm getting hate mail. And um, what's really interesting is that the stuff, the people who send you feedback that they say, David, thanks for having a view on this. Thanks for, you know, I think it's really important that our profession moves forward in a, as a profession. Um, that feedback comes directly to your inbox. They find your email address and they say, look, you know, really appreciate the leadership you're showing here. The hate mail is all the anonymous stuff that's at the bottom of the trails, the trolls, you know, of, of all the articles that are in the, the financial press, the, you know, the, the our, like our industry the press. Yeah, it's fascinating. <clears throat> so all the, all the trolls aren't willing to actually put their hand up and, and be accountable. And, and I think that's a bit of a, you know, that's where I think a kinder world would be a good thing. Mm. Mm. Am I rambling or are you going all over no. the place? Just like, <laughs> no. No, you know, I mean, I came, it's interesting because I came in here to talk about, you know, investigate wealth, happiness and purpose and how they intersect. And I'm going to ask you that in a minute. Mm. But more and more, as I journey through, as I refer to it, journey through the human experience via the medium of this podcast, the more I be, become more in touch with patterns that are much deeper that mm. run through mm. the zeitgeist. Yeah, they're more, they're much, it's like the very deep stuff. I have this, I, I spent some time in the Alps, I used to go and, and swim in Lake Geneva quite a bit. And, mm. and there's actually three currents there. And there's one that only moves, you know, like almost a couple of meters a, yeah, glacier. a year. And it's almost like sometimes I touch into that. But today we're actually, and, and I touch it through patterns through you know, I'll see the same thing through 15 conversations, but today we're just getting straight to those mm. deeper, deeper currents. And so, yeah, I, you're not rambling. Mm. This is a... One of the things that I pinch myself about <clears throat> um, regularly is how fortunate I am to have the types of conversations we're able to have with people. Because these are conversations. I think most people, I laugh about this with clients, and I, particularly new clients. I say, do you ever feel as though you and your partner start lots of conversations? You know, you're sitting at the kitchen bench, you might have mm -hmm. a glass of wine, and it's, hey, honey, what do you think about this? And da 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 da. And then Mary comes in, Mom, where's my sports mission? And there's the end of the conversation. Yeah. We have the, we have the luxury of actually finishing conversations. Correct. And they're conversations that matter. Yes. And we get to be part of them. Yes. But not as participants, as facilitators. We're just asking questions. It's exactly what I do here. Yeah. It's, it's a really lovely thing. Because the, the other one, which a lot of people will, um, a lot of people associate with is, is what I call the pub or the dinner party conversation, which is you start to tell something of value and then in the middle of it, someone will go, oh yeah, because that's like the time when... Yeah. Or can you pass the salad? Yeah. And then it, and it's been hijacked. <laughs> mm. And there is, um, I probably am very sensitive to it because of what I do here in the podcast and what I do with the legacy interviews. But um, I just wonder where the world would be if we listened a bit more deeply and allowed people to finish their conversation and then reflected on what somebody had to say 
rather than, as my mum puts it, um, sorry, did the end of my sentence get in the way of start of yours? Because mm. we're all so busy and we're so keen to get out. And it's the, and interestingly, it's the same as what we're talking about here in terms of what you're doing with Capital Partners compared to what's out there in the, you know, the multi-magazine financial world, so to speak. Yeah. And um, I think there's huge value. I mean, you know, in amongst this, 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 this time that we're living right at this point in time, I actually sat and thought about it the other day and spoke openly on Facebook that if we all had to sit at home for two or three weeks and not go out and consider You'd be forced to consider who we are and what we're doing and stuff. Mm -hmm. If everyone was forced to do that, I think that would be a bad thing. So it would be so an some, existential crisis for mm, some. But. Some people are going to really be stretched by that. Um, we're again very, very fortunate. Our business needs to continue. Mm. It's not a cafe. It doesn't get shut down, and we can do everything that we need to do via. Zoom or WebEx or whatever, so we can continue to have meetings, mm. we can continue to do just about everything we need to do. But I was thinking on my walk this morning, you know, if I was isolated for a period of time, what would I do? And I think this is a really interesting time. I think about this for my mum and dad who are in their 80s and they're, they're going to be quarantined. This might be the time to do something that you've always thought you could, could and should do. Write your memoir. Write some childhood stories. You know, if, you've, if you've ever thought, you know, gee, I'd really like to write a children's story. I know it's in me somewhere. I've just never had time to do it. This might be the time to do that. Mm. Um, you know, I think I've told you about my a project that I'm passionate about. It's called The New Retirement. Mm. And um, it, it is contemplating what retirement is actually going to look like for people born on or after about 1960. So the real genera generation X and later, um, the, the, as the baby boomers will have all retired, um, because we're going to live, well, depending on what happens in the next little while, but um, you know, the stats are that we're going to live a long time. If mm. we retire at 65, we've potentially got another 40 years. That's a long time. You know, That's the same again as your working life, based on the fact that you'd leave so, say at 20. Absolutely. So is retirement at 65 a thing? Is it really realistic or, or, or does it look different to that? So that's, if I had that time, if I had two weeks of lockdown where I just had a blank piece, that's what I'd be working on. I'd be really starting to think through how, how does longevity play into um, social and community engagement, play into the sense of meaning that we get from our work, play into how much money do I need, you know, mm. what flexibility do I need. So one of the challenges with work as we know it is, well no, you have to be here five days a week. So if you want to go on holidays for, you know, um, eight weeks a year because you're sort of in that what I call pretirement, yes. you know, in that transition zone, that's not going to work for us. Well, we need to have a workplace that allows that because yes. we're going to need the wisdom in the workplace. We cannot afford all the people who were born from 1960 through 1970 to all retire at once. That, that, that's going to be really important wisdom. Mm. So anyway, that's what I'd be doing with my, my two weeks of lockdown. Excellent. <laughs> and again, but again, you're going back to this deeper thinking. Mm. And how do you, uh, interesting, a question that just came up in my head is, how do you, you know, as I look at out the door and some of your staff are younger. Yep. Knowledge workers. Yeah. How do you, how do you train them up for these bigger, deeper, more concentrated conversations with the clients? Because it, for me, sitting here listening to the, the what you do and how you interact with clients, like that, that's hugely appealing. Given mm -hmm. you know how I, what I like to do, but how how do you coach? Mm -hmm. Good question. So we do a few things. Um, businesses will focus on one of three things primarily. So um, some businesses will say shareholders come first. Every every decision we make has to align with the shareholders' best interest. Yeah. 
Others will say, no, 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 the customer always comes first. You know, you've got to, got to look after the customer first. I, I have a slightly different view on that. In the middle, I say, no, nah, the team who are delivering this have to come first. Yeah. So we invest very, very heavily in our team on the basis that, for those of listeners who are saying, well, hang on a minute, I want to, I'm a customer and I want, to be, I want to think that I'm put first. The philosophy goes something like this. If you have an extraordinary team of talent and they're all doing work that they love and they're engaged in and they really enjoy it, mm. then you, in our case, clients have to get a good outcome. If they're the right people in the right business, if they're, if they're the right clients for us, they've got to get a good outcome. Yes. Because they're going to be served by these people who are really passionate. If clients get a really good outcome, and the team are sticky and they love being here and they love doing the work, then the shareholders are automatically going to get looked after. Yes. So everyone wins. So how do we do it? Um, it's very rare that we fly solo. So um, young people get to sit in on meetings with clients and they're just taking the notes. Yes. Now, all they might say in the meeting might be, you know, um, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, would you like some water? No, no, they get the water, but they are taking the notes and they're yeah. adding value and that's our investment. But by osmosis, they get to hear these conversations yes. and they get to hear the threads and the themes as you talk about. Um, and then there's a lot of formal training. Um, there's a lot of development training and um, we, we have implemented a thing in our business called Heart Styles, uh, which is quite new, but it's very cool. And it's about having conversations that are above the line. So above the line conversations are coming from a place of um, um, humility and love. Yep. Below the line conversations come from a place of fear and pride. Yes. So we're trying to help people understand when they're in a place of fear and pride. So they're being defensive mm -hmm. or you know, they're being aggressive closed to new opportunities exactly they're not being as effective as they possibly could be so it's it, it look it's a huge investment that's been going on for 20 years it'll continue to go on um, from a very very early stage I've always made a commitment to people you will be a better person even if it doesn't work out I, I my commitment is that I want you to be a better person for having worked with capital partners mm. than if you had not worked with capital partners we want you to grow before you go. Um, but the reality is um, people join this firm, they find out very, very quickly whether they're a fit or not, and if they feel as though they're a fit, they stay. Yep. So I got a guy here who's, you know, nearly 40, and this is one of the, about the only job he's ever had. He's now a principal of the firm, you know, he's going to be one of the senior leaders that takes over from me. So yeah, 15 years, 10 years, we've got a couple of people, 20 years, yeah, it's amazing. It's very so cool. They either turn over in the first three months or don't. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Mm. Yep. The, the, the really good people, the really good people whom, who, who have left us have by and large left because they've moved interstate. Yep. And to this day, they're working with the firms that we introduced them to over there. <laughs> so still have all connected. So we're still connected somehow. Mm. Yeah. So how how does wealth, happiness, and purpose come together? Um, everything stems from values. Right. So um, one of the most conversation, one of the most important conversations anyone can have is an exploratory conversation around what are their values. Hmm. Um, mine, for what it's worth, we have a process by which we do this, um, and that's actually documented in my book, Wealth With Purpose, but um, mine uh, are authenticity, love, leadership, and adventure. So for me, being authentic is this is who you, what you see is what you get. I'm not trying to not trying to you know no smoke and mirrors. I'm sometimes a bit direct, but it's coming from a place of love. And um, but a, but I'm going to stand for something. Yes, that's authenticity. That's my authenticity value. Love, love and friendship 
Um, I, I think there's just an unconditionality around that, um, around showing up in a way that you genuinely care about people and you genuinely and you can't genuinely care about everyone and everything but but you you try to be present and you try to make a difference in the lives of the people you, you're closest to um, you know the love I have for my kids is different to the love I have for my wife my love for my kids is pretty much unconditional because they're my kids you know they, yeah. I, they are, I brought them into the world they're my responsibility the love I have with Robin is a choice I've made a choice to be with her and yes. I make that choice every day. Well, I don't because I made the choice back you know, <laughs> yeah. 28th of November, 1992, and I said I do. Um, but, you know, I take that yeah. choice very, very seriously. And so you work at it. You have to really, really work at it. And you do have to work at the relationship with your kids. But it's not negotiable for me that there's a breakdown in mm. that. Um, then leadership. So, so leadership value is I really want the world to be a better place. You know, my, I am an infinitesimal speck of dust in the context of the universe. Um, and I'd like to think that through a life well lived, I can touch people and leave the world a slightly better place. Mm. And then the final value is adventure. And that's just about having an exciting life. So, so being in, we have a little tiny little orchard that we muck around in, a veggie garden. Now, every single day that I spend down in that um, orchard is an adventure. Sometimes you get slapped because something you really like, I've, I've got these persimmon trees, and do you reckon I can get persimmon trees to grow? And they're the most beautiful fruit, and they should be easy to grow, and it's really, really frustrating, but it's still an adventure. Mm. Going out on a mountain bike is an adventure. Going cycling with my mates is an adventure. Going walking with my wife is an adventure. So I just look at the life in a quite an expansive way. So why am I telling you all of this? Because once you're clear on what your values are, Roy Disney, uh, Walt Disney's brother once said, when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. <laughs> and that's the intersection mm. between purpose and money. So once you're really, really clear around what your values are and what matters most in life, you don't get caught up in a whole bunch of, frankly, shite yep. that we carry on with in the, in, in the Western world. And you can be very, very clear about what you're going to focus on. Mm. So my own financial plan is very, very simple. I work hard. I earn a good income. I save quite a lot. Um, I live well within my means. You know, our, our lash-outs are things you know, a holiday, but see a holiday that we love is hiring a four-wheel drive and going and driving around Alice Springs for, for a couple of weeks and camping in River. Yeah. camping. In but that's aligned to your values. That, it's, it's value, it's, it's a, that's an authenticity value. Uh, there's something deeply authentic about lying under the stars. Um, so so I think if, if you can really get your head around what your values are and you can get on the same, mum and dad can get on the same page around what their family's values are, you can simplify life enormously, mm -hmm. which means you can simplify your decision making around money enormously, hugely. Mm. In the absence of that, you know, you're reacting to all these other stimuli that are out there thinking, oh God, we've got to have the bigger house and we've got to you know, back blah, into blah, comparison. Blah. Back into comparison. Comparison is at the heart of all discontent. There you go. So what comes next? What comes next is setting goals that are really sensible goals. You know, what, 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 is, what is actually going to shift the dial? If you, if you had to draw a picture of your best possible life, your best life, what would be in it? What would security look like? Well, we'd need to live in a house and we'd want to own that house. Okay, what sort of house would that be? Does that have to be the biggest, best house? Or does, can it be a house that creates that harmonious family that you've talked about in your values? Like, do you want a house that's so big that no one ever talks to each other or do you have a house that's small enough that people actually have to interact with each other? You see, this is very interconnected stuff. Yeah, Once you start setting sensible goals that aren't just done on a whim, you can then build a financial plan around it. Once you've got a financial plan, you can work out how much you actually need to save over what period of time. And then you can start doing some really cool stuff like building in... Um, building in um, 
sensitivities and scenarios to say, well, if the world goes to shite and if the stock market dropped by 50%, what position would I be in? Mm -hmm. And if then it recovered, da 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 da. So, so you, just, you just go from being out of control to being in control. And that's what I think wealth with purpose is. Mm. Being in control, there's so much you can't control in the world. You can't control financial markets, you can't control the weather, you can't control natural disasters, but you can prepare for them psychologically and you can prepare for them financially. Mm. And that's not to say every now and then there'll be a real doozy. Like I really feel deeply for the farmers, and thank goodness they're getting some rain, but the pastoralists in the eastern states that have had, you know, really extended drought. Yes. Um, and you feel deeply for those poor people who have been subject to the bushfires, you know, because you can't really plan for that, no. other than being well insured and stuff. But so life does throw some really awful curveballs at people. But I think they're the five. They're the they're they're right at the margin. They're the five percent events. Yes. For most things that happen in the, in the course of most people's lives, you can plan for that quite well. Hmm. I, I don't think, you know, there are a lot of people who don't have the resources and they don't have the education and there's a whole lot of reasons why life is going to be tough for them. But for the vast majority of Australians who really are in world terms very, very affluent, yes. there is no excuse for them not to be successful financially. The levels of um, the, the the levels of financial distress, the levels of discontent, the levels of unhappiness uh, are way off the scale compared to what they ought to be. Yeah. Given how affluent we are. Do you think a large part is going back to this comparison? I, I don't think we have any sense of connection with our values. Hmm. What really matters to us? So we're just meandering through life, making decisions that. You know? From one minute to another. Yeah. To a how often have you been in a situation where you've had a thought bubble? Thought, oh, you know, that's a good idea, that's a good idea, that's a good idea. And if you'd done it, it actually wouldn't have turned out that well. But it doesn't stop you having the thought bubble. So the trick is having something in your life that stops you just acting on thought bubbles. Yeah. How does... Do you see a difference in the relationship with money that you see from a, probably across your clients to what you perceive across the general public here in um, Australia? Yeah, I do. I, I think, our, look, our clients come to us for a reason. And um, I, I, can, I can put this in context for me. So, so we went through a process of getting our wills done and it was an okay process um, and I've worked out I was going off to go bike riding with some mates and I realized that owning a business and this is something that is a little unique to business owners you do create a bit of complexity in your life yeah so as I was preparing to go off on this bike riding trip with a few mates I wrote a letter um, just saying look if anything happens to me this is how things work this is, I want you to go and see this person at my office. I want you to do this, 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 this. And I just said to my son casually, look, mate, if anything happens to me, in my cupboard in the study, there's a letter and you just need to take that to Chris at the office. <laughs> anyway, nothing happened, thankfully. But it was in that moment that it made me realise that, you know what, if something did happen to me, Robin would actually be in a bit of a pickle. She'd work it out because she's a really capable lady. Um, but, you know, it would be a bit of a pickle. We need to have a relationship with a financial advisor properly, even though I am one. Now, her first yeah. reaction was, that's ridiculous. You are one. Why would we, we need one? You are one. Like, surely you can do all this stuff. And I said, yeah, I can. But I don't want to do all that all day, Monday to Friday, and then on Saturday morning have to do it for us. So yeah. we're going to get one. Like, so we engaged formally with someone, and it's been fantastic. And I think she loves it. Um, so I think the difference between our clients and a lot of the public is that they never make that choice. They never say, look, you know, and it, it, maybe it's a luxury purchase, I'm sure. But um, I think a lot of people, the people fall into three 
categories, four categories. Um, they're the people who are very self-directed and there's lots of information out there and they're going to go and get the information. They're just not going to take much advice at all. They're going to do their own thing. Do their own thing. And I respect their capability to do that. I'm not, there's no judgment in, in mm. that description. Then there are people that I call validators who will do their own research, get lots of different points of view, then they'll make their own decisions. And then there are people who are delegators um, who will say, look, you know what? I know I'm smart enough to do all this money stuff, but I really don't want to. Yep. I really have something like I can afford to and I'd like to have someone else looking that after was, it for that me. That was the question, who rather than how. Who, not how, exactly. And then the fourth group are the do-nothings. Mm. Um, and now I don't know why that is, That's the, whether it's education. And I, and I think our, I'm going to call it a profession because I think it's going to move in that direction very quickly. But the financial advice sector, whether it's financial planners, stockbrokers, uh, I, I think we've done, and banks, hugely, the wealth management divisions of the banks with all the scandals we've had and the like, um, have done this done the community a huge disservice. Mm. And I'm hoping that over the next 20 years, it'll change a lot. Mm. And that people will come to rely on financial advisors and financial planners as trusted members of the community who, who they can rely on. And I can tell you there's a still, still a long way to go before we get to that. Mm. Mm. Do, do you encounter Possibly not with your clients having heard what you've said, but do you encounter um, clients who have almost come to the epiphany in life that I've been chasing money and now that's what I'm, or, or the manner in which I do it is now becoming congruent with who I am and my value set? Um, I don't see that. Mm. Um, what I do Possibly see. Possibly not given the qualifying process that you seem to take clients to. No, 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 not so much that. I, I, don't, I haven't come across many people in my life who chase money for the sake of chasing mm. money. I really genuinely have not seen that so much. Yeah. But what I do see are a lot of people who work incredibly hard. They build these really successful businesses. They make a huge amount of sacrifice along the way only to end up with a lot of money and I mean shed loads of money, and then it's, well, it's actually not, once you're there, you sort of think, well, it's fine, but it's not really that great. Yeah. Like it's, because it's- something was gonna happen when yeah. you got here. So, so it's almost, and the way I describe it, it's almost like being poor is really shite. Being really, really wealthy is really, really complicated, and being somewhere in the middle is kind of cool. Mm. <laughs> right. You know? As simple as that. Enough. Yes. You know, there's a guy, Jack Bogle, who um, was the founder of uh, Vanguard, the biggest, mm. biggest fund manager in the world, biggest index manager in the world, wrote this beautiful little book called Enough. Just stop and think and ponder how much is enough. Now, you know, is that house upgrade really? Like if you were living with three kids or four kids in a two bedroom house with one bathroom there, yeah, sure. You know, a house upgrade might be a really smart idea. Yeah. But if you're already in a really beautiful home and it's in a nice suburb and it's, and it's, and it's fine, do you really need the bigger house? Better house with better views? Just, I'm not, I'm not judging anyone, but it's just- Just asking the question. Think about that. Mm. Think about that. There's a guy, out of um, MIT, a um, fellow by the name of Dr. Martin Siegelman. Yes. And I'm a massive fan of Martin Siegelman. Founder of Positive Psychology. Exactly. And the key book about learned optimism. Absolutely. Glass half fullism. Yep, learned mm -hmm. optimism, too right. And he came up with this theory of happiness called PERMA. And it's about being positive, um, and I forget these, so you know a bit about this, you might have to help me, but positive, um, it's about engagement. Yep. Um, relationships, relationships, having a sense of meaning, mm -hmm. and a sense of accomplishment. And um, if people, if, 
the last thing I want to be is a um, backyard psychologist. But it, but it seems to me that if people were more conscious of those things, you know, conscious, being consciously positive, um, being engaged, getting involved, um, really working hard on your relationships, you know, trying to being being above the line, yes. managing your relationships from a place of love and humility, being willing to be wrong rather than from a place of fear and pride. Um, as having a finding a sense of meaning in the things you do. That's why I say the simple things I do, I, I consider an adventure. Where, yeah. where am I on this journey? Where, are, why, why, why is it? Am I just going to give up growing persimmon trees? Am I going to persist at this? What is it? Is it, have I got a bug in my soil? Have I got poor rootstock? What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? Well, I can't keep. I can't. I'm really not going to afford. Whether I can or can't is not the issue. I'm not going to afford to um, keep going because they're expensive trees. Like they're 120 bucks each. Yeah. A persimmon tree. Yeah. So. In July, when they come into season, I'm going to be buying persimmons and I'm going to be learning how to propagate the seeds because I need to approach this differently, but I'm not going to get to let the challenge beat me. Yeah. All right? And then, of course, if I get that right, I get a sense of accomplishment. I add a V to that. Um, I've never sought Martin Seligman's permission to do this, but um, the V stands for vitality. Right. And uh, that was um, a friend of mine, Paul, from the surf club, suggested that that was a really, really good addition to the PERMA formula, and I think it is. Mm. What do you mean by vitality? Um, oh, that's a good question. Approaching life, I guess it's all, it, I guess it all pulls the PERMA formula together. Um, you know, I didn't go for a bike ride this morning because none of my mates wanted to. I, you know, one of them's a pharmacist. He runs a pharmacy at a public hospital out at Joondalup. And you know, with the crisis that's going on now, I got mm. a text late saying, David, I've just finished work. I'm exhausted. I'm going to sleep in tomorrow morning. I need the Zeds. So I, this morning I woke up. My wife went for a walk with some mates. And I just thought, what, what, am I, what do I do here? And I said, no, I have to go for a walk. I have to go and do this. And, and that's what I mean by vitality, just getting yeah. out there, filling your lungs with fresh air, giving you, give yourself the best possible opportunity to set yourself up for a fantastic day. Mm. That's how I would describe vitality. Mm. Excellent. Um, what have you learned about yourself in this whole journey? The journey of life, the journey of business. Business. Um, the journey of life is a Western. But I get the I get the impression that business and life have been very intense. Yeah, they, they, they are. They are. I find it very hard to mm. to separate them. Um, I, I as a West Australian, um, you know, a nod to your podcast. Um, I feel incredibly fortunate to have been born here, because if my genetic stock had been different, and I'd been born in Africa or the Middle East or. Anywhere where there's, uh, where there's strife and tension, um, life would be very different. So I think every single West Australian needs to not take themselves quite so seriously and just have a nod to how lucky we are mm. just to be here mm -hmm. in Perth or West Australia generally. Um, I think as I gain wisdom, I'm learning just to enjoy beautiful, simple things. You know, I love the southwest of Western Australia. Mm -hmm. I love our outback. I love um, just nature in general. And nature is such a beautiful thing. Learning to learning mm -hmm. to really enjoy that and celebrate what it is and look after it. Um, humility, I think, is a really important leadership quality. In that, you need to go into every, just about every situation. There are times when you have to lead that's your job you yep. got to make a call um, but there are also times when you need to go into um, conversations fully aware that you could be wrong and that there are other people with really good opinions who and you should be open to letting them sway you yes and I, and I think just generally as you you know that whole thing of continuity theory um, people 
we advise, we see this. You know, we've we've I've dealt with some pretty hard people in business and the like. But I see as they get older, they become kinder. They don't sweat so much around, you know, the detail. They just say, yeah, that's okay. I've learned to let some of that stuff go. So I think that's probably my big learning, Bryn, is just, uh, and I'm really working hard at this, is, is be kind, um, listen, consider other people's opinions. Um, I would not want your listeners for one moment to think I'm any good at any of those things. It's 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 work in progress. It's a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working I'm working really hard at it. Hmm. Yeah. What um, what do you do as a you sort of mentioned earlier on about going cycling? Are there things that you do as a daily routine to keep yourself grounded, vital? Yep. Um, no, look, I don't have a daily routine so much, but I, I do cycle with friends. Um, we don't clog up traffic, so for those cycle haters in your audience, <laughs> I, you know, we're very, very conscious. We obey the road rules. We, we really do try hard to be responsible. But I, I get enormous value out of that. Not just this physical exercise, but the camaraderie and the... Mm. Um, um, I love the solitude of going for a walk by myself. Um, I love the uh, going for a walk with my wife and just talking about the business of the family and, and what's going on there. Um, I, I love yoga and um, I don't get to do that enough but when I do, when you're, in that, when you're on the mat and you're in that space, gee, it's, gee that's a luxury. Mm. Um, we had this funny experience, we were in New Zealand recently and we went to this little, little um, yoga studio in um, um, Havelock North, which is in Hawke's Bay, beautiful play, part of the world, Hawke's Bay, um, wine country. And um, it was the centenary of the death of a man who I, who I had never heard of, um, who's, who was credited with the idea of bringing um, yoga to the Western world and sort of popularising yoga. Anyway, what you had to do was this one movement. It, it's, um, it's called a vinyasa. And you had to do this one movement um, either 54 times or 100 times. And the whole idea was that yoga is quite a selfish practice and you generally do yoga for yourself. And this was whole practice was dedicated to this guy mm -hmm. who had died, who had brought yoga to the world. And it was actually really, really expensive interesting experience just shifting the focus of not doing this for myself I'm actually doing this in gratitude for someone who gave me something who not whom I'd never met yeah um, and just that was a fascinating experience what and what and another adventure it was yeah. just really really interesting um, so yeah I'm learned trying to learn to meditate not very good at that but I try just still the mind. Very easy to get hot under the collar and get too sort of reactive about things and, and just um, calm down. Just put your, put your meditation app on, listen to it for eight minutes. And it's actually pretty cool. You come out of it feeling a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And more awake, more alive, more aware, more above the line. Yes. Yes. Willing to be in a place of humility, willing to be in a place of love, rather than being in a place of judgment. The last question I ask. I can't imagine this is going to be interesting for your listeners. <laughs> the last, oh. <laughs> now you're getting that little voice turn up that sometimes turns up with guests just before I click record. They go, oh, I don't know what I'm <laughs> And then everybody says to me afterwards, oh, that was brilliant. Um, the last question I ask all my guests, it's a very simple hypothetical question, which is, if you could take a little nugget of information and upload it into the collective consciousness, so everyone just gets it, what would that be? When your values are clear, your decisions are easy. No question. No question. Mm -hmm. When your values are clear, your decisions are easy. Yeah, and I, I think that's true, whether, whether the, whether you're thinking about politics, when you're thinking about climate change, when you're thinking about the business model. Um, you know, the, the other way to think about that 
you know, you said it was one nugget, so, but I, I can't help myself. Um, the, other, the other thing you think about is, is we have to stand for something. Yes. Now, how do you decide what you're going to stand for? If you're not in touch with your values. Exactly. Because one of the things that comes out to me is, is when your values are clear, your boundaries are clear Absolutely. As well. And then there is room to say to someone, I'm afraid not. Mm-hmm. Or I can't go with that. Or, yeah. you know, politely shove off. Yeah. But how, <laughs> how, many, how many businesses have customers they really don't like dealing with? Hmm. Uh, imagine if you were so clear on your values, so no, one of my values is that I'm only going to deal with people I like. And you say to that customer, look, I'm sorry, we're not going to work with you anymore. And people are fearful of doing that because they think, oh, I'll lose business and it'll be terrible. But actually, the reverse happens. You actually make space to attract more people who share your values. Mm. And I think that's where we've got to as a business is that our business is full of people who have shared a shared undercurrent of values. We don't have shared values because everyone's so different, but there's a shared notion of who we are and what we stand for and why. And I think that's what it starts to perpetuate itself. So those boundaries are really important. You know, the same with your kids. If you're clear on your values, you can say, no, that behavior is not okay. Yep. We need to have an, un- and let's have a, com- let's not beat you up about that, but let's have a conversation about why. Let's, let's actually have a, a conversation around why that's important and why. Yep. So that would be my thing. When your values are clear, your decisions are easy. Mm. As are your boundaries. <laughs> As are your boundaries. Absolutely. Dave, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today. I can't believe that's an hour. Time flies when you're having fun. Mm. I did tell you at the start. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Um, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Because you've written a book. Yes. Um, the name of which is? If you Google Capital Partners, mm-hmm. you'll find us anywhere in Australia. It'll will pop up. Or if you Google me, David Andrew, you'll, you'll find me. Excellent. Um, if people would like a copy of the book, um, they're more than welcome to, to contact us and we'll, we'll work something out. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.